Hi there, we're your IP consultants. This is about to be highly indulgent. So sit back and unpack your anti-convulsants. And we'll tell you where to shove your Stanleys and Vulcans. We'll use this device for unsolicited advice. You didn't ask us for it, but you can't beat the price. We offer up our services from the U.S. to Sweden. We're your IP consultants, Vincent and Ian. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird. No, no, no. It's... It's a plane? It's a bird? It's a plane? That's a... No, it's, it's a podcast. I thought you were... Oh, I, I thought IP you were... consultants. I thought you were doing a thing. Good thing. Uh, considering the... Hey, guys, we're talking about Superman. <laughs> I'm Vincent. And I'm Ian. And I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm a little out of it. <laughs> As of recording uh, this podcast, uh, I had emergency surgery last weekend, so uh, I'm a little out of it, so I apologize in advance for sounding out of it. You sound normal on my end. Well, thank you, but I'm I'm exhausted right now. Um, <laughs> I hear you. But uh, yeah, so uh, this week we've decided to tackle one specific DC character for IP renovation, if it were. Uh, and that would be uh, the one Man of Steel. Or as he used to be called... Man of Tomorrow. The Champion of the Oppressed. Yes. Champion of the Oppressed, I believe, came before both Man of Steel and Man of Tomorrow, I think? Entirely possible. He's got a long history. He's been around for a very long time. Oh, yes. Longer than both you and I combined, probably. Yeah, he's generally considered the first kind of modern superhero. Obviously, there are mythical heroes and there are costumed heroes and crime fighters and all that stuff. But Superman kind of ushered in an era of comics about characters with costumes and powers, and it was a whole thing. And uh, he was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Yes, Siegel and Schuster. They were children of Jewish immigrants in New York, I believe. I believe so. And they created this character who is a very sort of quintessentially Jewish hero. He's got a backstory that's very similar to Moses, and he's obviously a Holocaust survivor. He's a child who came to a new land or a new planet, as it were. There's a lot of stuff around Superman that is very symbolic of the immigrant experience. And also a lot of savior imagery. Sort of. A lot of that came kind of later. Which kind of gets supplanted later on, obviously, because that's not quite as indicative of the Jewish experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the sort of initial concept of Superman, he was the champion of the oppressed. He was a guy trying to help people because he had the privilege of these powers. He was, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound that later got built upon he can fly and he has heat vision and he can see through objects x-ray vision cold breath cold breath and he super strength is much stronger than he was initially mm-hmm. so superman has sort of had this for a while he he had a whole bunch of extra powers that have sort of been forgotten about like there was like super ventriloquism and all sorts of weird powers that just writers would throw in there because why not there's the one in the movies where he can fly around the planet on the opposite of the axis to spin it backwards to turn back that's, time that's or he's got a big 
not plastic thing on his ass that puts them in the phantom zone. None of that is in the comics. <laughs> I'm going to slow you down there a little bit because I want to issue a little bit of a statement about this flying around the earth to turn it backwards. <laughs> he doesn't turn the earth backwards. It just looks that way because he's traveling back in time. When you travel backwards through time, the things you see would appear to be happening backwards. So he's not actually reversing the rotation of the earth. He is moving back through time by flying faster than light. It's got to do with relativity. It's a sort of hypothetical science thing that isn't specific to Superman. It's not a superpower. It's just super speed. He's going so fast that time slows down, stops, and reverses from his perspective so that he goes back in time. That's what happened in the movie. I see. And thank you for clarifying that. It's the same thing that led to the Flash having that whole thing with the speed force of being able to go back in time, because that was also introduced the same way of, like, the Flash can run so fast that he approaches the speed of light so that time slows down and it stops and it reverses and he ends up in the past. And then once that gets passed from writer to writer, eventually you get to the speed force, because not every writer knows what the fuck that that concept is, because it's very confusing if you don't read up on Einstein and the sort of hypothetical concept of time travel through faster than light travel. But sure. uh, <laughs> let's let's set that aside. Now that we've dealt with that controversy, <laughs> Superman doesn't actually turn the Earth's rotation around. He just experiences it backwards because he's traveling back. So, yeah, but the plastic thing on the S that puts them in the in a trap, that's complete bullshit. So. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, I think, based on the Phantom Zone and it's a whole thing with Jarrell's science and yeah, yeah, it's built upon stuff from the comics, but it's very much sort of taking it in a direction where it was never initially. But yes, the Phantom Zone is a thing. It's a prison sort of that I think Jarrell invented. It's a little different depending on who's writing it, but yeah. And then the, the S you you keep you keep saying you keep saying Jarell and I keep thinking who's Jarell and uh, and then I realize you're you're saying Jorel it's because it's hyphenated so yeah Jarell you're saying it so fast the there's <laughs> there's no space there okay <laughs> so the birth parents of Clark Kent uh, or Cal L were Jorel and Lara yeah they put him in a basket and they send him down the river and he ends up on Earth and <laughs> meanwhile. Krypton uh, either explodes, explodes or gets radioactive or something happens to it and you can't live there anymore, basically. It's a natural disaster that happens and mm -hmm. they send their child because they're scientists and people aren't listening to the scientists. The scientists are saying, hey, our planet is in danger. We should do something. We should save ourselves. And people are like, ah, it'll... It'll sort itself out. Don't worry about that. It'll be fine. Gee, I wonder what uh, modern day thing we could draw influence for this from. Huh, and I'm coming up with nothing. Nah. I feel like this is a familiar <laughs> concept here. Yeah, I, I feel like feel like this is something people now are saying and yet uh I don't know, maybe uh, some Yes, so they were only able to make this one prototype or I guess two prototype mini rockets and they managed to save two Kryptonians. Yes. But uh, we only find out about one of them much, much later. Yeah. <laughs> we find out about the other Kryptonian that was saved uh, something like 40 years later. <laughs> something like. But basically, initially, what we find out is that they send their kid and their kid lands in Kansas, gets raised by a nice couple who lives on a farm in Smallville. Jonathan and Martha Kent. Yes. Nice people. And he 
grows up and he moves to the big city, Metropolis, and he feels like, oh, I have these powers. I should probably try to help people. And so he figures out that, well, if I put on this suit that was in the ship, then I can just say, hey, I'm Kal-El and I can save people. And I don't have to tell people that I'm Clark Kent. Yeah, the outfit made from his swaddling cloths with the family crest. Yeah, I never quite figured out how... Because the idea was that the fabric is indestructible, right? Yeah. Which is, I don't know how you would sew something out of that. Something that's indestructible. How do you make (laughs) something that's the size for a baby, reshape it to be the size for a full-grown boy and then man because some people you know when they introduce the super boy idea they use the same thing uh <laughs> but uh, how do you make that into a, a size for a full-grown man and you use still the same material did they just pack enough and how do you get the needle through it <laughs> how do you get a needle through it if it's indestructible uh it, it it's it comics people comics yeah uh um. <laughs> i had this thought of like if If we're going to jump ahead a little bit and say, okay, let's say we're rebooting Superman. Like, the first thing I would do is like, okay, with this, well, maybe not the first thing I would do, but if we're talking about the suit, since we're talking about it, might as well address it. Here's an idea. Speaking as an IP consultant, that suit is just, it's Jor-El's wedding suit. Sure. It was in the ship. It was a full-grown suit, fully sewn. It's finished. It's it's colorful. It's a festive suit. It's his father's suit. It's his father's wedding suit. It's so simple. That's why it's got a cape. Yeah. And it's got the family crest on it because it's ceremonial. Yeah. It makes sense. Sure. Maybe you don't have the underwear on the outside anymore. But, you know, uh, I don't mind the underwear on the outside. I don't think it's a bad I, I, look. I know, you, I know you don't mind the underwear, but that is a product of when the comics came out because the idea of the superhero was kind of like an advancement of the circus strongman. Yeah. So, because they were such a, you know, the, the strongman wore those unitards and kind of had the, the boxers on the outside. It was a, you know, it was kind of a, an outfit that they wore as strongmen. Yeah. You know, kind of the guys in the sideshow. And the costumes of that era for superhero comics were kind of an emulation of that outfit. So it fit that period. I kind of like the new outfits that don't have that anymore, mostly just because it makes it a little more streamlined. I never thought it looked stupid. I just thought, you know, it seems sort of outdated to kind of have that and have something a little bit more uniform is kind of better to my eye personally. That's fair. But, you know, obviously your mileage may vary, so. Yeah, I'm sort of neutral on the trunks. I'm definitely in favor of the bright colors. I'm not a big fan of the sort of modern idea of, like, darkening the suit so much that it's like, ah, yeah, we gotta make him more badass, because the whole idea of, like, making Superman badass, it's like, that's missing the point of <laughs> Superman, I think, because Superman's not about being, ma- he doesn't care about being badass. He cares about helping people. He's a nice person. He cares about being good. Yeah, he's kind. Yeah. He's kind and caring and sweet. He's a sweet boy. He's a Boy Scout. Yeah. He cares. He was a bigger Boy Scout before Captain America was a Boy Scout. Yeah. He is the one who always does what is quote unquote right. Yeah, he tries. He tries his best to be the best version of himself. And that's, I think, what Superman is. It's sort of Clark Kent's idea of a good person. It's like, this is what a good person does, right? And so he tries. He tries his best to be that. And trying to 
mute the colors or wash out the colors of a big bright outfit and making it grim dark and gritty doesn't fit that character. It just kind of, it's kind of cringy. It's very cringy. It feels very try hard. It's two hours of cringe. Gee, I wonder what I mean. It's... Yeah, yeah uh, speaking it, of, <laughs> when we're on the subject of Man of Steel, because let's be honest, we are now. Uh, Obviously. <laughs> although, you know, some of the comics have also been doing the dark suit and some of the animated movies recently have been doing the sort of darkened suit with the collar. Well, and, the, the animated movies were kind of taking the, the new 52 uniforms, which were yeah. not darker, but they were, the colors were a little deeper. Right. So, you know, like the, the blue was a little more navy blue than it was like baby blue. Right. But yes. But about the Man of Steel movie, there's one thing that keeps happening in Man of Steel is when Superman lands... When he puts his feet on the ground, there's like this loud thud and there's a crater and it's like... And a cloud of dust. And this is a guy whose power seems to be that he can sort of control his personal gravity to some extent. Yeah. He can fly. That should mean that he should be able to land softly. <laughs> he shouldn't. I, I understand that the idea behind Man of Steel was to kind of put him in his infancy as learning his powers. Right. But it overdid it. Yes. Too much. Very much. And every landing, every landing is him landing with a goddamn thud because he weighs eight tons or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, crunching the earth behind him. Here's the thing. Every, I mean, Superman, by the time he comes out as Superman, by the time he's visible and Lois dubs him Superman in the paper. He's gotten control of the power. He knows how to fly, how to land gently. Yeah. How to be gentle with things, considering his great strength and great size. Yeah. He should have a decent handle on at least landing at that point. Yeah. And another thing is, you know, there's always the complaint of how does Lois not understand that Clark and Superman are the same thing? Oh, that's easy. Here, I, and I'll get to that. But that's the thing that Man of Steel missed is Henry Cavill is a big dude, especially in those movies, and does not really change his affectations between Clark and Superman. Yeah, no. It's just, he's always a big dude. You look at Christopher Reeve's performance, and I hate to compare, but I'm going to because Christopher Reeve set that standard is the difference between Clark and Superman is when he was Clark he tended to hunch a little bit to kind of change the idea of the height between them he kind of slouched he kind of put his shoulders forward more than back the glasses are the obvious thing but you know he he changed his physicality yeah. to kind of make that difference more apparent and that was one of the great things about his performance as the character aside from Henry Cavill's most of of Henry Cavill's performance issues I mostly blame on the director but because of the direction that he was putting that movie in a lot of things got left by the wayside as far as direction for the actors right and but I have so many problems with Man of Steel me too but we'll get to them individually as we go yeah that is what not to do with the character yeah uh, if you're wondering about IPs <laughs> yeah the thing is I think it's very easy to sell the idea that that Clark Kent and Superman are not immediately guessed as being the same person. Yeah. And I think key to that is why would people assume that Superman has a secret identity at all? That's a thing that a lot of writers kind of jump on is this idea of like assuming that the superhero has multiple identities. That's an easy idea to arrive at with most superheroes who aren't Superman. Superman 
is openly an alien from another planet. He openly states his name. He says, I am Kal-El. I'm from the planet Krypton. I came to this planet seeking refuge, and I am here to help. That's what he says publicly. He does not keep that a secret. So when you have that, you don't really need this idea of people going, well, who is he really? Because he's he's telling you. He's telling you, I'm Kal-El. Yeah. I'm from the planet Krypton. It's a planet that no longer exists, and I am here because I need a home, and I, I am here to help. Yeah. He tells you, and that's how you get around the problem of who is he. And also, I mean, he's just some guy who happens to look like Superman, which is like, it's not that weird that people look the same. Have you seen actors who look the same ever? Have you seen people? Yeah. Everybody's got doppelgangers running around. Yeah. There are people yeah. who look similar to other people. Absolutely. I know doppelgangers of myself and also actors who I look like. But that's always going to happen. It's just a very similar thing. Oh, wait, you know what? The nose might be wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, like, if somebody goes like, hey, did anybody ever tell you that you look like Superman? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I hear it all the time, but he's way taller, you know? It's yeah. something like that. His shoulders are way more broad than mine. You kind of got broad shoulders. I hear that. But look, if you looked at the two of us next to each other, you'd see the difference. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Clark would even have to say that. I think people would just justify it for themselves they would just go you know you kind of look like superman but not quite yeah like they would just jump on finding some difference even if it's not really there because <laughs> he's just the guy at the office he's a dork from kansas that happens to real celebrities tony hawk gets recognized as tony hawk but not as tony hawk yeah <laughs> he'll get onto flights and people will look at his id and go Anthony Hawk. Hey, do you remember Tony Hawk's the skateboarder? Whatever happened to him? And he'll answer, well, currently he's getting on a flight. Yeah, Jessica Chastain <laughs> and Bryce Dallas Howard look like the same person. It happens. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel and 800 other people in Hollywood all look the same. Yeah. So it's just a matter of really writing the characters believably and you will have solved the problem. Yeah. So that's a little thing that often bothers me with versions of Superman or even Supergirl, which is the show Supergirl is a show that I have, over the course of it, had mixed feelings about. I like the show overall. There are things that I've had issues with. Right now, they're having their best season yet. The writing is better than it's ever been. The current showrunner is doing a good job. I am behind the season. Well, <laughs> I recommend catching up. I've been wanting to. I just haven't had a chance. Because they're finally, like, a genuinely good show. But they're still doing this thing of, like, people assuming that Supergirl has a secret identity, which... I don't get why they would assume that if she's like, no, I'm an alien. There's lots of aliens around, like, especially in that world, because that world is full of aliens. She didn't even have to say I'm an alien. She says Superman is my cousin. Yeah. I'm wearing the same outfit as him. Yeah. You figure it out. So there shouldn't be this, oh, I wonder who she is in the day to day. Oh, wait, no, she's Superman's cousin. They'd probably hang out at the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. This was a really unlikely thing to happen that they would actually end up not only on the same planet, but being able to reconnect. That's a great thing for these yeah. cousins to be able to get back together. So, of course, they're going to be like hanging out. The idea of who is this person on the daily, that's a dumb question to me within the Superman mythos. Once you start getting to other superheroes, it's different. Once you get to Batman, for example, okay, yes, for starters, you've got this idea of, oh, Batman is a bat creature. People actually believing that Batman is... Because they don't quite ever get a good glimpse of him because he only wears
works at night. Right. But eventually, you know, over time, it becomes more clear that Batman is a man who is dressed like a bat. At some point, it starts becoming, especially once you get to Robin and stuff like, oh, Robin showed up and he seems to be the same age as Dick Grayson, who's living with... It's starting to look suspicious at a certain point. Yeah. But you don't have that problem with Superman and and with Supergirl. You don't have to have that problem. You kind of have to create that problem in order to have it. So that's just a, a... little thing to get out of the way. What are some other common complaints, I guess, about Superman? I think not so much common complaints, but at least complaints about what they did wrong in Man of Steel. (laughs) Well, I think there are a lot of complaints that led to Man of Steel. I think people have this thought of like, oh, Superman is too powerful, for example. Yeah. Superman is too powerful is an assumption that people like to, or a a hot take that people like to have. Superman is so powerful that you can't possibly tell an interesting story with him because he's going to win the fight no matter or what so you got to put him up against someone who is equally strong in order to have a story but i think that's mistaking stories for wrestling matches yeah cuz yeah well a lot of that's 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 a lot of issue that i've have with a lot of superman stories some of the superman stories in comics are very good and some of the superman stories are excuses just to have a punch up yeah and for example the death of superman yeah I, doomsday just, is not a character yeah no doomsday is something that punches yeah he's an excuse for violence he was an excuse to kill superman yeah, uh, yeah really and unfortunately there's a lot of stories especially in the films that lean in that direction where there is no character motivation there is no purpose for the thing that is the antagonist other than gotta punch it right so having something that actually has an agenda a purpose a meaning something to drive it something some sort of character motivation an actual character rather than just the embodiment of strength and punching which brings us to another the embodiment of strength and punching is just funny to me this brings us to another complaint that often comes back why do they have to use Lex Luthor so much can't we get something other than Lex Luthor I think it's a valid complaint for the movies because they did three movies movies with Lex. Well, I think it's <laughs> Out of not... the five that we got, we got three movies with Lex. I don't think it's a valid complaint because none of those movies really utilized Lex to the extent that Lex could be utilized to really tell a story about what Superman is about. Oh, absolutely. I feel like Lex is very much a perfect counterpoint to Superman, not only because he doesn't have superpowers, but because he is philosophically the opposite of Superman. Superman stands for altruism. This idea of, I have this privilege of superpowers, I'm going to share it with people, I'm going to help people, and I'm not going to do it for personal gain, I'm just going to do it to help people. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor is this sort of Ayn Randian character who doesn't believe in altruism. He doesn't believe that it's a real thing. So he's just going, Superman is up to something. I'm going to stop him because I want to be seen as the hero. And it's not about being a hero. It's about being seen as the hero. Yeah, for Lex, it's a lot of power struggle, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, for Lex, it's a lot of... I hate to use this term, but... 
virtue signaling Ugh. in a sense because yeah I absolutely hate the term virtue signaling but it applies in this case because Lex Luthor is the kind of person who would use the term virtue signaling yeah. to refer to Superman because that's the only way that he views altruism as a narrative tool or the virtuous <laughs> yeah because being helpful is to him a means to an end it's a way of making people like him so that he can have more power so he looks at Superman and goes, that's what Superman is doing. Superman is virtue signaling, is what Lex Luthor is thinking. But from Superman's perspective, it's not that. It's, I just want to help. And Lex Luthor can't grasp that concept because he is this sort of Ayn Randian person who just doesn't have that worldview. And I think that conflict of like sharing power versus hoarding power and altruism versus selfishness, it's very powerful. And I haven't really seen that story really captured in a like three act movie. Yeah. And I think I want to see that. <laughs> sure. I think that's a great idea. I always, it's like starting a Spider-Man story with Green Goblin because they're the most famous foe. And people got tired of seeing Superman fight Lex Luthor. They wanted to see a different rogues gallery for Superman. And Superman's rogues gallery isn't enormous. But Lex is always the constant in the comics. So it's a natural thing to have him go up against his direct opposite. Well, yeah. When I said that he's gone up against him three times in five movies, that is me not counting Batman v Superman because that is not Lex Luthor in that movie. Um, <laughs> well, it is. It, it It is in name. It is. It's just a really bad representation of Lex Luthor. It is the worst representation of it because it's not a representation of him. That's not Lex Luthor. That's the Riddler. Um, <laughs> sort of, yeah. Sort of. A bad imitation of the Riddler, even. And it's supposed to be Lex Jr. or something like that. Well, n not really. It's... I mean, that's what they call him in the movie. They call him Lex, and... They call him... He's he's Lex Luthor. They they call him Lex Luthor, and he's... Because his father is Lex Luthor. The father's name is always different. Sometimes it's Lionel Luthor, and sometimes it's something else. I don't know. They keep changing Lex Luthor's father's name, so th th that part is like, no, the character in the movie is supposed to be Lex Luthor. It's not supposed to be the son of the comic book Lex Luthor. That's not what they're doing. They are clearly saying that this is Lex Luthor. I didn't mean it was the son of the comic book Lex Luthor, but regardless, it's a bad representation of what Lex Luthor is. And that's my point. They're all bad representations in the live action movies. Every single Lex Luthor in live action has been not quite Lex Luthor. And I feel like I want to see that movie that really does Lex Luthor justice because that's the most interesting introductory story of Superman you can do. If you have Superman coming to Metropolis and creating this persona of his idealized Kal-El that then gets named Superman by the press, if you're telling that story, you're telling a story about identity and narrative and you're telling a story about a person's relationship with the society in which he exists and Lex Luthor is the perfect villain for that story. So the idea of doing an introductory Superman story without Lex Luthor, to me, misses the point of why Lex Luthor is a great villain. And I feel like the best use of Lex Luthor is to have him be the first real villain that Superman faces because you would introduce Superman as just helping people out. He's just doing sort of regular stuff. And then here's supervillain who is not publicly identifying himself as a supervillain, but publicly identifying himself as the hero of the city. Yeah. Lex Luthor is the guy who saved Metropolis, and now here comes Superman, who's the guy who seems to be trying to save Metropolis. Hey, that's my territory. We have a conflict. So... 
that to me is the natural story to tell. Well, here's the thing. Superman wouldn't even see that as a conflict. Well, that's the point. Superman, if he says, oh, wait, here's the guy who's saying he's going to help too. Great. That takes some weight off of my shoulders. Well, yes, that's the point. And that's where the story gets interesting. And that's the story we haven't seen is this idea of Superman is just trying to help. And he sees, oh, Lex Luthor is a hero. And when you introduce Clark Kent in the beginning of the movie, he would be like maybe interviewing Lex Luthor. Because, I mean, Clark Kent is a journalist or trying to be a journalist. He's trying to get a job at the Daily Planet. And so he's scheduled a sort of quick sit down with Lex Luthor and they're talking. And Lex Luthor is talking about, you know, you want to be a journalist because you want to have your voice heard. You want to control the narrative. So they have this conversation, you know, and it ends with Lex being like, I like you, Clark Kent. Keep in touch. We're going to be good friends. And then over the course of the movie, you sort of develop this thing of like, no, it turns out that Lex Luthor is secretly doing a bunch of shady shit. And that's when Clark starts to go, how am I supposed to expose this without overstepping, without doing anything wrong? Because it would be easy for Superman to stop Lex Luthor just by poke him in the face. He could kill him with a finger, but he doesn't because he's Superman. He has a moral compass. And that's the interesting thing. You challenge the philosophy of Clark Kent while he's creating the persona of Superman. And over the course of the movie, eventually he realizes through Lois that Superman isn't a persona that he's created, that Superman is who he is. Yeah. Clark Kent is the persona. Well, no. Clark Kent is Superman. He's just compartmentalizing his life into these two roles, but it's There's no persona. Yeah. Clark Kent is Superman. Superman is Clark Kent. He's not faking either of them. And I think that's the thing that the story is about when you're introducing the character, because he has to figure that out. He has to come to this realization that, oh, I'm not creating a persona. I'm not splitting myself into these two persons. I'm both Clark Kent and Superman. Yeah, exactly. He is equally, truly both of those people. And I think that is the realization that happens when Lois finally looks at him and realizes that he he is the same person. Sure. And I think you can do that in the first movie of having Lois figure out that Superman is Clark Kent in a sort of crucial moment in the third act. So here's the big point for this. Obviously, we are talking about completely rebooting the film character as we know it. Yeah. Because it has appeared in DC films of late and they are pulling back from having Superman in those movies. And obviously they're pulling back from having Batman because <laughs> they are still moving forward with the the Batman movie, but they have recast Ben Affleck. There is the idea that they are probably going to recast Henry Cavill because they're probably not going to have Superman in these movies. They're kind of pulling away from the interconnectivity of the movies. Yeah. These characters exist in the other movies in Shazam that comes out next month, which actually by the time this airs may be sooner <laughs> than when we're recording it. But Batman and Superman exist in the same world as Shazam. Yep. But we don't see them. We don't see who they are. We don't know that if it's connected to the Justice League movie or not. Probably not, because DC is pulling away from that. Right. And they're making individual movies, almost as if they may have listened to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
But this idea that we are talking about directly now is a reboot of the character. And instead of completely rebooting the character, because to be perfectly honest, the character has been around for an extremely long time, over 80 years, just celebrated the 1,000th issue of Action Comics. I think doing a movie where Superman is already an established character could also be interesting. Everybody knows Kal-El's origin. Everybody knows or thinks they know what Superman is. And, you know, maybe not showing all of his upbringing and everything is not necessary for this movie. Starting with Lex, I don't have a problem with starting with Lex. But I always always, always have wanted to see Brainiac in a movie. That would be my suggestion for the sequel. Sure. But I, I'm saying I don't know if completely starting from scratch for the next Superman movie is such a great idea only because even without the movies that have come in the current slate of DC films, if you even ignore those, the public still knows who Superman is. The movie going public still know the character. I think the key is if I may. Sure, please. I think the important thing to do is to tell the public, no, you don't know Superman. You've been misled. You saw a version of Superman. <laughs> that was Elseworlds. That was a remix. That was the dubstep version of Superman. Now we're going to give you the definitive Superman movie. We're going to tell you who Superman is. The true Superman. Yeah. Who is Superman? And I think the way to do that is to introduce him from not the beginning, the beginning, because that would be like rebooting Smallville and doing that whole thing. Although that's an idea because, you know, Smallville was an attempt to do a thing that got way off track. But the idea of starting Superman from the inception of Superman as a persona and watching Clark Kent build the persona of Superman and realizing that it's not a persona, but who he is. And I, I think that story is potent enough, and especially now in today's climate where I, I don't even need to mention what today's political climate is in order to really get across what I'm saying here, I think, because Superman <laughs> was created... As far as immigrants and... Yes. Yeah, Superman was created for a very specific purpose. He was created as a symbol of hope for immigrants and a way for non-immigrants to see an immigrant as a hero, to see a positive representation of something they might otherwise fear, such as an alien from outer space, which was, you know, typically or often a metaphor for a threat from another country. And this idea of here's someone from elsewhere who is here as a symbol of hope. And again, back to Man of Steel. In Man of Steel, they talk about the symbol of hope. They talk about the symbol on his chest being literally a symbol meaning hope. And yet we never actually see him be a symbol of hope in that movie. And he's never hopeful. He never gives hope. And he is never hopeful in that movie. Exactly. In Batman v Superman, they kind of try to retcon that and kind of make him seem hopeful. But he's never hopeful in Man of Steel. That symbol of hope is meaningless in that movie. Exactly. And that's why I think you need to start from the beginning. You need to start from scratch and really let people in through the character of Clark Kent and let us know who Clark Kent is. Let us meet Clark Kent at the point in his life where he is figuring out who he is. Because I think that's how we can relate to him. That's how he's not just this sort of unstoppable god character to be put in fistfights against superpowered aliens. He is a person who is here to help and he's trying to figure 
figure out who he is and he's being challenged by this other person who is claiming to be the hero, you know, who is working another agenda, right? And that's why I think it's important to really give Superman a fresh start and tell people because I think people have forgotten who Superman is. Yeah. I think people have the wrong idea and I think that's why you need to start fresh and really give people a new Superman and a classic Superman and yet a modern Superman. You take the classic idea of Superman, you put him in modern day without corrupting him, I think is important. I think that is very valid and that definitely answers any questions that I would have had about why would we start over again? I find that completely credible and understandable. So I am on board with your version. But yes, I want to see Brainiac in a sequel, obviously. Yeah. Um. (laughs) And like, it doesn't have to be a movie. It could be a DC streaming series as well. Like, I'm open to either. Sure. We've seen Supergirl on TV. It can be done. Here's the thing that's happening right now, though. We are getting a deconstruction of the character of Superman on movie screens before we get a good construction of the character. That's my point. There is a movie coming out very soon. Oh, you're talking about that. Directed by James Gunn. No, it's not. It's produced by James Gunn. Okay, well, it's a James Gunn production. You're right. Right. But yes, anyway, Brightburn is coming out. It's a horror movie. It's a horror movie that the entire plot of the movie is, what if Superman, but evil? Right. And it's exactly the same origin, but what if he had that hope, that goodness, that altruism, that virtuousness not in him? Right. (laughs) Basically, what if Lex was the one that landed? (laughs) Right. If you look at these trailers and if you listen to the interviews, that is exactly what they're doing. They're doing an evil Superman story. They're doing a deconstruction of what it means to be Superman. And I think while that is going to be interesting to see, it is unfortunate that we are getting a deconstruction of that character before we've had a real good version of Superman, a good construction of him in the films first. Exactly. And that's my point. You can't deconstruct a character that we've not examined to its best end. Exactly. I think it's unfair. And especially in this time when there is a lot of fear of immigrants all over the world, that's an issue. People are fearing immigrants. And I think making a horror movie about Superman or a character who is very much like Superman, but scary, is kind of irresponsible in terms of the implications that it has. I think exactly now it is very important or as soon as possible to have a version of Superman that is embracing everything that Superman was created to be, as opposed to trying to deconstruct it. I agree with that, that uh, sooner than possible is good, but I also think that there should be some distance put between the Superman movies that we've seen and the one that we are pitching here, because I think DC's got the right idea to not focus on Superman or Batman right a much, because they are their most popular characters, but let's establish a universe. Even if you're not having them be connected, we've seen these versions of these characters. The movies did decent box office, but to be perfectly honest, most of the fans of those characters are not fans of the movies. Right. And even people who aren't quote-unquote super familiar with those characters. Those movies aren't very good. So to kind of keep that bad taste out of their mouth with a new movie, people are going to assume, because the movie going public is not, not all of them are always watching everything 
to know about a movie before it comes out. They're not like you or me or some of our listeners, obviously, but they're just going to say, oh, here's a movie. This looks good. I wonder if it's connected to the one that came out two years ago Well, because it features the same character, maybe a different actor. So let's put a little distance between it. Or let's cast someone who doesn't look like Henry Cavill. Yeah. Let's cast William Jackson Harper. He plays Cheaty on The Good Place and he's great. <laughs> he would be a really good Superman. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people talking about Michael B. Jordan playing Superman. Uh, Not obviously the Clark Kent version of Superman. They have been clarifying. I cannot remember the name of that version of Superman, but there is a version of Superman who's an African-American. Isn't that just Icon? No, there is an actual Superman. Oh, the Elseworlds thing? I think so. I think it might be. Oh, yeah. I don't know too much about that. They've definitely been pitching Michael B. Jordan's name around. Mm. But even aside from casting, let's obviously, I like Henry Cavill. And I think we finally got an idea of an actual good Superman from him him in the very later parts, mostly in the Joss Whedon parts of Justice League. But that said, that movie's a mishmash. Yeah. And... I don't think, while Henry Cavill fits the build and fits the what he can smile and would be good to have Superman smile, overall, I think his time as the character probably should be at an end. Yeah. And we should move on to someone else. Yeah. But I think not just recasting it, but putting it a little bit more distance from these movies that have just happened. In general, I would completely agree with that. In general, I would say, yeah, let's give it some time. Let's wait. But the thing is, with the current climate, and I keep coming back to the climate, but it's kind of, it's kind of a thing. Yeah. For so many reasons. I feel like now is the time when we really need Superman. I feel like the world needs Superman more than ever. And that's just a feeling I have. In that instance, then, would you do something that we've seen in the comics that, to be perfectly honest, the character does kind of parallel someone we're familiar with? Would we do a President Lex storyline for that movie? I feel like that's... Writing past the point. I feel like President Lex, it was a great idea before Trump became president. <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. And now I feel like the idea of President Lex is very sort of, hey, look, it's like Trump. I feel like it's a little on the nose. Yeah, it's it's like in Black Lightning when Greg Henry's character actually said the words, make America great again. It's like that where it's like, ah, you didn't have to say that in order to get the point across. I feel like President Lex is going a step beyond what you need to do in order to get the the point across. I feel like Lex is enough of that kind of character that you don't need to make him president. You can keep it within Metropolis. Sure. And have him just present himself as the hero of Metropolis because he did some stuff for the city and you have him continue to maybe Mayor Lex. I don't think he needs to run for office. I think you just have it be about the public perception of Lex Luthor. Sure. Okay. And the public perception of Superman and Lex Luthor is pushing for this idea that Superman is an alien threat and we should be really wary of this super-powered creature from another planet who's probably the vanguard of an invasion. And I'm here to save the city from Superman because Superman is just a ticking time bomb. is a catastrophe waiting to happen. He's a ticking time bomb that's pulling kittens out of trees and yeah. helping people. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> quote-unquote virtue signaling. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Again, I'm spitballing here. I'm throwing out ideas and... Yeah, it's a fair point. I think President Lex is... I like the idea of President Lex as a storyline and I've seen good things done within that narrative in animation and in comics and all that stuff. I just think now is the time when doing that particular story would be writing past the point. Sure. Okay. No, I agree with that. I think that's a decent idea for a good way to bring the character about 
fresh to bring it about to a point where we haven't truly seen it on the screen. We've had hints of that in the Donner movies, but I think really pushing that altruistic and then what's his agenda on the other end, questioning the virtuousness of him. But yeah, having Lex be the one who questions Superman's motives and trying to do the same thing, but only for himself. I think that's an interesting angle. In that version of Lex, would you give him the Lexo suit, the giant exosuit that Lex has worn in the comics, or even just the weird green strapped outfit? Or would you like shy away from that comic angle? Because I'm honestly, because if he's trying to be I'm also a hero. Maybe he would adapt a costume or an outfit. Preferably, he'd probably adapt that exosuit, that kind of Lex mech, to kind of fight Superman because, you know, he needs to get on his same strength level or something like that. But honestly, that was hokey in the comics. And I'm just saying, is that something that can be adapted to the movie to A, bring in those comic book elements and B, kind of have them be on the same footing? Or is that too hokey of an idea to have? in the Superman film that we're pitching here? It's a fair question. I think there's a number of things you can do with Lex Luthor over the course of the movie. What you do in Act 3 in the final showdown or whatever you want to call it. I mean, ultimately if you put him in a Lexo suit, it's back to the punching thing, thing yeah, a little bit. There is that. And I don't know if you really need to take it there. I mean, you could. You could also have him create genetically modified creatures and you could have him, because Lex Luthor does a lot of stuff. He's a master of all sciences and he owns a company that employs a lot of scientists who do a lot of weird science stuff and technology and... Like maybe clone Superman. Yeah. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think you do the Superman clone, but yeah, stuff like that. You don't do that right away, but I just watched Death of Superman and then Reign of the Superman. Right. Which, by the way, Reign of the Superman way better than the Death of Superman movie. I've only seen the Death of Superman movie yet. I had a lot of faults with Death of Superman. Yeah, I had a couple of issues with it. Especially the very Christ ending of oh in three days he's risen because <laughs> the thing opens. Yeah, yeah oh. that was th- that was kind of cringy because stop making Superman Jesus honestly it's insulting. It should have been one movie. Death of Superman and Reign of Superman should have been one movie together. I've not yet seen Reign of Superman. I'm gonna watch it next week probably. It's way better. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it then. It's not fantastic. Well no it's based on the death and return of Superman which is not a great story to begin with. But it's definitely better than what Death of Superman was. And that's the thing. It's not a good story to begin with because it's just punching. (laughs) But they at least adapted it slightly better than the original comics were. They kind of give it a little bit more of an interesting angle. But you don't get that interesting angle until the sequel, Reign of the Superman. (laughs) And while I like the plot of Reign of the Superman, it enhances Death of Superman. But it shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? They should stand alone, even though they're sequels. Right. I I see what you're saying. But that's a tangent different thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) Side note, my favorite Superman movie is Superman versus the Elite. Which I still haven't seen, which I should. The Elite are currently part of the Supergirl series. Nice. And that's looking like it might get interesting. But what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. What Lex is up to? I mean, I feel like you could do a number of things depending on how the story plays out. Because, like, to me, the interesting part of a Superman story isn't the fist fights. <laughs> no. That's the least interesting thing. To me, the interesting stuff is the character stuff. The stuff between Clark and Lois. The stuff between 
Clark and his parents, the stuff between Clark and Lex in terms of their conversations and their conversations with the public. I feel like there's this thing of you can have these nice conversations between Clark and Lex and you can have conversations between Superman and Lex. And there's a distinct difference between how Lex interacts with Clark versus how he interacts with Superman because Clark represents the press, Lois as well. You can do a lot of interesting stuff with that. And the less interesting part to me is the fights. So, well, yeah, but here's the thing. They are action movies. Well, comic book movies are action movies. That's there's going to be those elements for them. They're not as interesting to you, at least. Yes, but I'm going to give that a yes, but because here's the yes, but I think a big mistake that keeps being made over and over again, especially by Warner Brothers with these DC movies is approaching them as action movies first. Yes, there's going to be action in them, but to approach them first and foremost as action movies and trying to make the superheroes into action heroes is, I think, starting from the wrong angle. I think you got to start from character and then find the action through story. I don't think you start from the action and then build the story around it. And I think that's the mistake they've been making. You can also make the mistake the other way, though. Look at Ang Lee's Hulk. Yes. Yes. Yes, but. That is very character-focused. The thing is... The movie is called The Hulk. You don't see The Hulk for the first hour of that movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say the character-focused aspects of that movie work better for me than the action parts of that movie. But, again... They work better than the action parts of... Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and yes, that is a trap that this could very well fall into. You could end up with, like, all this story stuff and then trying to shoehorn in a bunch of action or alternatively end up with no action so obviously you're gonna have action in it but i don't think it is primarily an action movie i think it is a character study with action in it but the action specifically has to be directly tied to what's going on with the characters which is why you have this stuff of clark versus lex and you maybe have clark deal with other villains and i know this is a popular hot take of like you shouldn't have multiple villains in a superhero movie i kind of disagree with that as long as you have a primary conflict and then you know how to utilize other villains like you could have if you can keep the focus well while juggling multiple antagonists Right, because the story on a certain level is about, from Lex's perspective, controlling the narrative. Lex is trying to make the public see Superman a certain way and make the public see him a certain way. And Clark is just trying to help. He's trying to be a good person. He's trying to do his best. And here's this person framing it as something other than what it is. So there's this conflict where Clark is having one conflict and Lex is having a different conflict. And those two conflicts are in conflict with each other. Those two conflicts conflict. Yeah, they have conflicting conflicts, which is often, uh, <laughs> which is very much reflective of society today. There's a lot of people kind of talking across each other, and there's people having disagreements where one side is saying one thing and another side is saying another thing, and those things that they're saying aren't necessarily in direct conflict with each other conceptually, but they become in conflict with each other because the views of what the conflict even is, is what the conflict is about. So you have Lex saying, this is a conflict about blah, and you have Clark saying, no, it's a conflict about blah, and I'd rather not there be a conflict. And that's the conflict. And 
while you have that going on, you have other villains such as, you know, Toy Man and whatever else. Like, I'm not saying necessarily Toy Man, but... Small tier villains, yeah. obviously. You don't put Amazo or Metallo in the movie. I think you could. I think you could have Amazo or Metallo in the movie as long as you know how to... Or, or the Parasite, even, if you know how to utilize them and make them part of the narrative so that that becomes the part of it that's Clark trying to help the city. You could make it so that Lex is creating villains for Clark to fight and he's, meanwhile, trying to steer the public to think, oh, here's Clark just destroying everything. Because obviously, Metallo has the Superman symbol on him and that's in order to frame Clark. Like, the whole thing is, Superman is connected to this guy. Look at the symbol on his chest. Like, that's the whole thing. So I think you can have that be part of the story and have a lot of the action be around Clark fighting other entities that are either created by Lex or that Lex is sort of manipulating in some way. Because I think Lex is very much a behind-the-scenes kind of villain. He is not the type to get his hands dirty until you get to, like, the third act. That's when Lex gets his hands dirty, and that's when Clark manages to go, hey, look, Lex is doing crime. Let's let's arrest him. Yes. Because the whole time before that, Lex would be going like, you can't arrest me. You don't have the right to arrest me. I haven't done anything wrong. You can't prove anything. Because Lex is covering his tracks. Lex is a genius with a lot of power. He is Harvey Weinstein. He is he's <laughs> untouchable until he isn't. He is operating in broad daylight in a sense, but at the same time, he is burying it. And that's, I think, where you have a lot of the central conflict around because Lex is posing a conceptual threat to Clark more than a physical threat. And the physical threats may come in the form of things that Lex is causing to some extent. Sure. And I think a lot of people forget that action doesn't have to mean violence. Action is actively doing things. It can be stopping violence, saving people, solving problems. Do you examine the boyhood history of Superman and Lex, where Lex believed that Superman caused something to make him lose his hair? Or is that too new of an invention for your sensibilities? Uh, I think a lot of the sort of both the Smallville stuff and the Superboy stuff, a lot of that stuff kind of has to go away. You kind of can't really have all that stuff mucking up the story. What you can do, I think, is in the first couple of scenes, like within the first couple of scenes, you have that sort of meeting between Clark and Lex as a sort of, you know, interview, work sample, whatever, school project, whatever it is, like the first meeting between Lex and Clark. And you establish at the end of that, that Lex is establishing his idea of a friendship at that point. So you do have some sort of history between the characters before Superman is created, but it's not a long history. It's not a childhood history. It's more of a, I like you, Kent. You're going places. I'll keep in touch. Don't be a stranger type of thing. The more this podcast moves on, it's making me realize that I have read more Superboy than Superman than I realized. Yeah, I've, I've I've read a bunch of old Superboy and Superman because, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I grew up on vintage comics and, to some extent, cartoons. So I, I wasn't reading 90s comics in the 90s much. I was reading 70s comics, 60s comics, a little bit of 50s comics. So I was like... 
I was reading old stuff. So yeah, yeah, I've I've read a bunch of Superboy. And I think getting rid of the Superboy stuff, I think is important because I think you create Superman in Metropolis. Yeah, I think that's a valid take on that. And I think also the meeting between Clark and Lex is also happening in Metropolis. The adult versions of them rather than them knowing each other as they grew up. Yeah. Okay. But you can still, if you need to have flashbacks to Clark's childhood, you can have stuff with Lana and Pete, but more importantly, Martha and Jonathan. There is a character named Emil Hamilton or Emil Hamilton who is a Star Labs scientist. I think you could weave him into the backstory of Superman, make it so that he is the person who was kind of a contact of Martha Kent, who helped them kind of finagle the papers so that Clark Kent could be like adopted. Right. He would help with the adoption and also help keep track of the pod that he came in. And it's a whole thing because like, hey, we found an alien in a field. How do we make that official? Like you need some sort of help with that. And I think Hamilton would be like, because he's kind of Superman's doctor, for lack of a better term, in general in in Superman stories. There's a comic that could have come out in the 60s. (laughs) Emil Hamilton, Superman's doctor. If you can have Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal, you can have Emil Hamilton, (laughs) Superman's doctor. Yeah, I think uh, originally it was Phineas Potter, but I think those characters got kind of merged at some point, and I think that's fair enough. Sure, sure. I think Emil Hamilton is like the character who, or you could make it Amelia Hamilton if that uh, makes it more interesting. Uh, Which it definitely could. Yeah, I think it could be like an old friend of Martha's from college or whatever. Yeah, so you could have some, if you need Smallville flashbacks, you can do that. If you need to refer back to a moment in Clark's childhood that formed him, that gave him a certain idea, you can show that. Or if you need to show like the first time he flew and he like scared Martha because he was like floating away or he fell down from a height or something. You can have moments like that defining sort of childhood moments in flashbacks, but you don't want to overdo that. You don't want to have like a constant barrage of flashbacks or you don't want to pile all the flashbacks in one part of the movie because in Aquaman, I felt like the flashbacks were really awkward. Awkward. Uh, Aqua. Uh, that's, I don't know. That struck me funny. Yeah. And okay. I can see that to a point. I honestly barely noticed them. <laughs> I noticed them. I thought the flashbacks were really weirdly timed. I thought they were fine flashbacks. I thought they just came at weird moments. Okay. That's fair. I don't remember much about Aquaman to be perfectly honest. I remembered enjoying it and that's about it. But uh, yeah, I can see how that can be a, uh, cause like a lot of these movies are putting all the backstory right up front at the beginning of the movie, which honestly, the way stories flow, that makes a natural idea, but also maybe don't Quentin Tarantino it and put all the stuff backwards in the movie too. Yeah. I think one thing you can have at the sort of beginning of the movie is you start it by fading up over the line, up in the sky, look, and it's Martha telling Jonathan it's, you know, a falling star or whatever. And Jonathan's like, don't even tell me to make a wish. I'm kind of down and stuff. And then she's like, I don't care. I love you and blah, blah, blah. And then they go and chase after the thing. Maybe, no, maybe they're making a wish for a child. Well, that's the thing. It's because Martha can't have children. Or maybe Jonathan can't have children. Oh, yeah, that's true. But that's what I'm saying is like he doesn't want her to tell him to make a wish because he doesn't believe that it's going to happen. Like he's down because of that. And then she's like, oh, we're, we're going to figure it out. Well, it, things will be great. And then you cut and they've gone after and Martha's like, no, we have to check it out. And Jonathan's like, we don't know what it is. And she's like, that would be the purpose of checking it out. <laughs> I love this dialogue that we're suddenly pitching. (laughs) And then you cut again and it's Martha is over by the crashed pod and she's like, Jonathan? And he's like, what is it? And she's like, it's a baby. And he's like, that's not funny. And she's like, I'm not joking. And he's like, Martha. And she's like, seriously, you should get over here. And then, you know, 
we cut to like modern day or maybe you have like a quick conversation with Hamilton or something. But like you get to Clark coming to Metropolis pretty quickly just by flashing through those sort of early moments before you get to now. Sure. That's a credit sequence. Yeah. While the little credits are at the bottom of the screen. That's a cold open before the credits. The flashes of him growing up are the credit sequence. And then you cut to the interview scene with with Clark and Lex. Them wishing on the star that's a pod and discovering the baby. That's the cold open before the credits. The flashes of him growing up are the credits and then him arriving in Metropolis is the start of the movie. Right. And then if you need a defining moment, you can cut to a flashback as needed. Yeah. But you don't want to like do a bunch of unnecessary flashbacks. You don't oversaturate it. All right. I, uh, I, I dig this idea. I dig this interpretation of one of the oldest comic book characters still around today. I think that's something that should be befitting the character. I think we may be at our time. Yeah, I think we've covered the subject for the most part. I think so. But if you guys out there listening have any comments or questions for us, for IPs for us to discuss, or even comments about episodes, you can reach us at IP Podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet to us at ipconsultpod or send us a message at facebook.com slash ipconsultpod. You can of course always find the podcast on iTunes if you search for IP Consultants. You can also check it out at ipconsultants.podbean.com Also, episodes are up on YouTube. Once again, I have been Ian. And I have been Vintel. You know what? That's not far off. Anyway, we have been your IP consultants. We will consult with you next time. Have a tasteful tuna.